And just like that, we're back yet again. It is another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. It is wall-to-wall Q&A this morning. You guys have got some good stuff. We had some breaking news last night. I did not even get in bed until 2 a.m., and I was not wise enough to record this last night. If the voice sounds like I am, to quote my mother, sickly, that's because I'm recording in the morning, which we all know it's well-established as a bad idea, but we had breaking news, so I couldn't record last night. The breaking news we'll get to in a second. I also did three more Zoom consultations with you guys from the audience last night. I've been talking about this for about two weeks. I'm not going to talk about it every episode. I'm just making sure I get it in enough shows to where people who are interested hear it and the people who should be interested in it, anyone who wants to get into this field, anyone who may be in college, maybe in high school, maybe just a little bit out of college. I was talking to a guy last night who was 43 years old. And so it doesn't really matter if you have an interest or maybe a passion about getting into any realm of this sports media industry, or maybe starting your own YouTube channel, starting your own podcast. I'm happy to talk with you guys. Email me joshpate706 gmail.com or you can DM me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. And I can tell you confidently, we got some really, really talented, really bright, really idea driven and content driven people that I have already spoken to. I had three of them last night. I might as well have pulled out a notepad and started taking notes myself because I've gotten some good ideas from you guys. Even as you line those up thinking, oh, I'm about to get good ideas from Josh. No, that was a two way street. It's been a two way street with essentially every one of those I've done, but it's really in depth. We, um, really get down to a granular, fine, detailed level. So that's really, really fun. And um, appreciate you guys, even though I had to stay up to 2 a.m. last night to finish the last one. As for that breaking news, that's how we're going to kick it off this morning. A reminder, this is just Q&A. That's the way we do these. We do them twice a week on Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. And I would also imagine there's a pretty good chance we're going to lead Late Kick Live with this tonight on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So what is this? What in the world is he talking about? Well, here's what I'm talking about. Quinn Ewers decommitted from Texas last night. If you follow recruiting hardcore, you understand the bombshell that that is. If you're living a life out there, which most of you probably are, that does not allow you to follow the intricacies and finer points of 2022 recruiting, you don't know what I just said. Well, here's what I just said. I just told you the number one quarterback in America for 2022 from the state of Texas, who was committed to Texas, decommitted from Texas. This is a South Lake Carroll guy. The hair alone is five-star, but he's also 6'3", about 200 pounds. He's got all the intangibles and all the tangibles. I mean, he is a stud. He is, I think we have him rated the number one overall player in America, along with obviously being the number one quarterback for the 2022 cycle. He had committed to Texas about three months ago. Yesterday afternoon, I think it was yesterday afternoon, Mike Roach and a lot of the folks over at Horns 24-7 started intimating, hey, there may be some whispers, maybe some smoke here that he may decommit. And it was fascinating because I took that because, listen, no one's more plugged in than those guys on that side. I'm telling you, if you're a Texas fan, you are robbing yourself of information if you're not a member over at Horns 24-7. Do I say that because I work here? Partly, but I would have told you that long before I came to work here. That's always where I've gone to get my Texas information. So anyway, they report that. I put it out there via Twitter, and sure enough, there it is, five minutes afterwards. Someone says, don't worry, this is just clickbait. Mm -hmm. So then, later that night, naturally, Quinn Ewers decommits. That person's nowhere to be found. But boy, the rest of you were, because I've got no less than 40 questions from Twitter and from email combined asking my thoughts about Quinn Ewers. My thoughts are, I'm not shocked. 
my thoughts are when I tell you that a game like the Oklahoma game is, in my opinion, a must win, this is one of the reasons why. Now, let me give you a backstory as to why I called it a must win. I'm not one of these people who throws out 37 must win situations every year. That one was a must win. Here's the backstory. I was, he- I was hearing leading up to that game, the negative recruiting from rival staffs against the Texas staff and getting in the ears of a lot of kids who were committed to Texas and letting them know there was some unrest there and uneasiness and Herman's on the hot seat. That stuff was ramping up already before the Oklahoma game. When they lost the Oklahoma game, you might as well have thrown gasoline onto that match or a match into gasoline. However however you term it, it's bad. That's happened. I viewed it as a point of no return. I didn't think Tom Herman was going to be fired the following Monday, but I thought a chain of inevitability was kicked into motion when they lost against Oklahoma. And the reason is because I knew, as did anyone with any common sense, even if you're not close to the Texas program, you had to know this was coming. You had to know it was coming. Recruiting was going to go downhill quickly. Now, I didn't know that it was going to be this swift. I didn't know it was going to be Quinn Ewers because this is another kid who is a lifelong Texas fan. And that's very important because I want to read something from a piece that Mike Roach put out. It's on, I think, the front page of Horns 24-7 right now. And it's just kind of his thoughts and his synopsis. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because you have to pay a little bit to do that. But I'm going to read you a snippet. And this is really all you need to know. Here's a quote from that piece. I was told before Ewers decommitted that he was talking to other prospects and letting them know his plans. This will likely hurt Texas in more ways than just quarterback. Not that it really matters at this moment. Class of 2021 recruiting is stalling. While class of 2022 seems to be coming to the same type of halt, I'm not sure what the staff can do to change the momentum, but the dams are breaking. You know what that means? He's not going to say it. I'm going to tell you. It means it's over. That's what it means. It means probably you've reached a point of no return there. And I insert the word probably only because I believe in hedging basically every statement that I ever make in life. I never like to say 100% of anything. It's pouring down rain outside my apartment right now, which in my world means it's probably going to rain today. But yeah, I mean, you can pretty much remove that probably. It's just, it's trouble out there. So I believe a decision will be made. I believe changes are coming at Texas. But what do I think about it? I, well, I think the same thing Mike did. That's kind of why I read his summary. This that, That's a guy closer to the program than myself that thinks the same thing I do. So if anything, that just kind of validates what I've felt about this for a long time. It's amazing. Boy, it's amazing to look at the talent roster they have there, which we have rated the fifth most talented roster in America. And it's also fascinating to just think about where they're parked, all the advantages that are built in. If you can't get it done at Texas, where in the world are you going to get it done? And I'm talking about Tom Herman now. I think a lot of people are surprised by this. I'm surprised by this. We were talking in our Slack room, uh, our national editorial Slack room the other day, about how big a crapshoot it is. Barton and Bud talked about this on their uh, latest podcast that I encourage you to go check out. They were talking about just what a crapshoot it is, even when you have all the boxes checked, when it comes to hiring a head coach. Remember? Do you remember the process? Do you remember how in demand Tom Herman was? And here's the other thing about him. Sometimes I have to remind myself not to lump him in with Kirby and Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley at Jeremy Pruitt. He is not a first-time head coach at a major program. Herman was at Houston. 
So he cut his teeth, well, for a moment or two, at Houston before he went to Texas. So you had seen him as a head coach before you'd seen him as a coordinator, obviously, but you saw him as a head coach. He rapidly improved the state of affairs at Houston to where you thought there's there's no risk here. It's all reward. LSU wanted him bad. Texas wanted him bad. South Carolina thought they had him once upon a time. So Texas gets him, and it just hasn't worked out. I mean, and they won that Sugar Bowl, which was, I thought, very misleading. I think Chris Del Conte, when we listened to him talk actually with the Horns 24-7 staff during the offseason, he understood that Sugar Bowl win was not necessarily indicative of, hey, this program has now arrived. It is a it is a New Year's Six caliber program. They were just ahead of schedule, and that was kind of a random happenstance of variance, as I like to say sometimes. I say I like to say it, even though that's probably the first time that combination of words has ever come out of my mouth. It's what happens when you record in the morning, kids. Make sure you record at night, not in the mornings. But you know, this is not even the first red flare that's gone up losing these in-state kids. This has been happening for a while. This cycle, the 2021 cycle, Tommy Brockermeyer, all Saints Episcopal there in Fort Worth. Dad played at Texas. James Brockermeyer, his brother, dad played at Texas. These dudes are looking for any reason possible, any excuse possible to play at Texas. Tommy Brockermeyer is committed to the University of Alabama. James Brockermeyer is committed to the University of Alabama. It, the, the concept of letting these kinds of guys get away is inexcusable. You just can't do it. Now you got the number one player in the country who happens to be a quarterback in your backyard, and not only has he decommitted, but he's also telling kids, hey, you probably want to follow me. Looks like he's headed to Ohio State, by the way. That's not official, but looks like he's headed to Ohio State. Again, he is a 2022 guy, so it's not like he hasn't had this decision made by Friday. So that's what's happening at Texas. Again, we're going to talk a lot more about that on Late Kick Live, and that happens later tonight. Now let's move on. Otto said, how do you feel hearing your voice essentially for a living? Personally, I cringe every time I hear my own voice in a recording, video, or anything like that. Well, Otto, as I noted at the beginning, apparently there's a big difference in my voice if I record at night or in the morning, and I don't necessarily disagree with that. I, um, as, as, you, as you describe yourself, I used to feel that way times 100, despised the way my voice sounded. When I would speak in church or something like that, I would go back and listen to the recording. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. And I'm not telling you I love it now. I just don't feel the same way that I used to. Now, I did learn some different inflection techniques. I developed a little bit more of a non-regional dialect, which is translated to mean that you can't immediately tell I'm from Harris County, Georgia. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm very proud of where I'm from. I'll tout that all day until the end of time. However, it doesn't always make for the best multimedia content. And especially with my voice, you just, there's footage out there. Maybe one day I'll build up the courage to share some of it with you, but it was not a pretty sight. And it was an even uglier sound. So Otto, you're not alone, brother. I think um, probably most people feel that way if you really got them to be honest with you. Drew is next up. He's got a couple of them that are pretty good. He said, uh, the first one is, you said a few weeks ago, if Nick Saban was 10 years younger, then he would have been offered a head coaching job in the NFL again, and he wouldn't be at Alabama. My question is, if you think that, does that also not mean guys like Dabo Swinney and Kirby Smart could soon be getting NFL offers? I know they're not Nick Saban, but they have to be generating some interest at that level, right? All right, let me give you a few takeaways here. Firstly, I'm going to speak selfishly. I'd prefer a college job over the NFL. I think the head coaching job at Georgia is better than a head coaching job in the NFL for a myriad of different reasons. Secondly, 
I do not feel in the slightest that Dabo Swinney is an NFL guy. I think he is a college guy through and through. I think if you cut his arm gently, I mean, let's not sever a limb here, but if you cut his arm, he would just bleed college football, whatever that looks like. That, that guy's not NFL. Thirdly, I think NFL franchises understand that. What Dabo Swinney is works perfectly within the confines of a college program. Dabo Swinney's not a guy who's going to walk into a coaching clinic and wow you on the grease board. Dabo Swinney is not a guy who you would describe as a master tactician. If I had Dabo Swinney here and I had another microphone sent to me from CBS so we could have a co-host and it was Dabo Swinney, he would say the same thing. Actually, he would probably start to say it and then maybe his agent would tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, shut up, shut up, shut up. Nope, doesn't matter if it's true, shut up. But if it were just me and him, you know, and I injected truth serum into him, first off, he'd say, man, you've cut me and now you're injecting something into me. But if it were just me and him and he was honest, he would say that. He understands that. Kirby would be a little bit different. Kirby is more a guy who is a master tactician on one side of the ball. Like Kirby Smart has coordinated defenses for a long time. Dabo Swinney hasn't. That's not his game. That's fine. Obviously, it works because he's got guys who can do it. However, Kirby runs things a little bit different. I could see that down the road for Kirby. Not that I've heard anything. I could see that way down the road. If one of the two were to go that route, I would easily think it would be Kirby guy like Lincoln Riley is far more likely. Lincoln Riley, some people still view it as an inevitability that he's going to go. As for Saban, Saban's in a different world. Uh, Nick Saban is made for the NFL. He just prefers college. I go back to his days with the Dolphins and I laugh. There's such revisionist history on this thing. I laugh whenever I hear someone say, Nick Saban failed in the NFL. Nick Saban didn't fail in the NFL. What is the definition of failure, I guess? what He didn't win a Super Bowl? Is that the definition of failure? Because if that's the case, well, he, the guy failed, as do 98% of coaches. Nick Saban walked into Miami. It was a horrible franchise. Nick Saban left Miami better than he found it. How in the world is that failure? Secondly, most of you are familiar with this story, but I'll just tell you in 20 seconds in case you're not. There was a guy by the name of Drew Brees, who at the time I think had still been with the Chargers. Nick Saban wanted him. Team doctors in Miami would not clear him. So Nick Saban didn't get a guy named Drew Brees. He ended up going to, oh, where'd he go? Uh, New Orleans. I wonder what he's doing these days. Anyway, Brees goes to New Orleans. Saban settles for Dante Culpepper. Dante Culpepper, many things. Drew Brees, he is not. And yet he was still competitive down there. Saban had a better first two years in the sport than Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells did. I know that off the top of my head because way back in the day when I was doing radio down in Columbus and Bama had just started their run, you would have some vengeful Auburn fans or LSU fans or Georgia fans call in and (laughs) they were getting their eyes beat out. So their only recourse was to say, well, yeah, he's only here because he couldn't cut it in the NFL. And I had that ready. And then they said, well, whatever, man. And they hung up. That's it. That's all they said. Whatever, man. Couldn't even do me the courtesy of knowing what my name was. And for the record, Otto, to go back to a previous question, Yeah, that was back when I hadn't shaken that regional dialect yet. All right, next up is Drew. Uh, Second question here from Drew. He said, you've mentioned multiple times you work out and you wear sweats under the table. What is your favorite gym exercise? I think this question, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to Drew. I don't know if it makes sense to you if you were a casual listener. So what he said there is, my daily routine, like today, for example, when I'm going to do Late Kick Live later tonight, 
I will get all my work done and then I'll go to the gym and I'll go straight to the studio from the gym. And most of the time, I don't remember to bring a change of clothes with me. I'll bring the white tee because I always have a white t-shirt with me everywhere I go. I mean, who among us doesn't? And so I'll go over there and I'll just keep the same sweatpants on that I had in the gym. Colin loves it. But hey, outside of Colin, there's no one else in the building. I mean, I got a great relationship with the janitorial staff over there. They would never judge me. They would never criticize me. Well, at least not to my face. And really, that's all that matters. I mean, it's a well-established fact that as long as you criticize people behind their back, no one ever knows, no one ever gets hurt. I think I read that in the Bernstein Bears book one time when I was little. So anyway, I will do the show, and all you will see is desk up, I got the white t-shirt on. Well, from the desk below, it's a tragedy. I mean, there is a guy sitting there doing a national college football broadcast wearing a very ratchety pair of sweatpants. Huge hole in the crotch. I call it a ventilation system. Really, it's just wear and tear. And then I also have these, these same pairs of uh, tennis shoes that I've probably worn every day for about two years. As I have told you many times, I am the lowest maintenance person on the face of this earth. I wear the same thing to work out every day, every single day. I've even gotten myself into the habit of wearing the same shirt on our Zoom meetings every single day. So I'll get people subtly ask me, hey, um, psst, are you okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. And then I'll have other folks, and I appreciate this. You guys send me shirts, and I think sometimes, like I've got some Iowa State stuff, I got some Miami stuff, I got some Auburn stuff lately, and I, I think you guys are sending it to me just because you want me to have some team gear. I think that, but there is also another possibility on the table, and that is you think I'm homeless, and you think I need clothes, and I'm not necessarily saying that my appearance suggests otherwise. So thank you for that. And by the way, I just realized I didn't even read all of Drew's question. Pathetic. I just had to delete like four minutes of podcast because I went back and looked and said, oh, I didn't answer his question. What Drew said is, you've mentioned multiple times you work out and then you wear the sweats under the table. What is your favorite gym exercise? It makes a lot more sense, Drew. So I apologize for criticizing you. I'm going to leave it in and not edit that part out so that I'm the one that sounds like an idiot and not you. My favorite lifts are shrugs because it does not require bending of any joints, and so you can lift a 1,000 pounds. And secondly, I like bent dumbbell rows. And thirdly, I like squats. I do legs twice a week. I used to be no leg guy, and that changed in the last seven, eight, nine years. I'll give you a story about why it changed right quick. I walk in the gym one day, Max Fitness there in Columbus, Georgia, right there on Veterans Parkway. This was a little bit longer than 10 years ago, but still, point remains. I walk in there one day about to do my third chest workout in probably the last five days, and there is a guy over really getting after it on the leg press machine. But I could only, from the angle I was at, see you know his upper body. I couldn't, I couldn't actually see his legs doing the work. So that doesn't really stand out a whole lot. So I start getting ready, start um, you know unpacking my bag and everything, and then I see the guy get up from the leg press machine, at which point I can see his whole body. He's only got one leg. He takes his prosthetic leg, and then he puts his prosthetic leg on. So I had a guy over here. He was former military. I had a guy over there who was doing more leg workout. And I use leg in the singular because he literally only had one to work out. He was over there doing more in the way of leg workout than I had done legs workouts. And it made me feel about two feet tall. So I left the gym. I didn't even work out. I mean, this really affected me. I'm not joking about this. And I left the gym listened to a bunch of um, 
who did I listen to on the way home? Les Brown. I listened to a bunch of Les Brown motivational stuff on YouTube. I still remember this. And I just reassessed some things. And from that point on, I said, I'm doing two leg workouts a week. So I do two leg workouts a week. Big glutes, big paychecks. That's my new motto. So now we can move on because now I have given you a phrase with which I highly recommend you don't live your life by, but I live mine by that. All right. Now we have a very important question coming up. And this one's from Tani. So Tani, I'm about to send this podcast to. He or Jordan, one, will edit this. And occasionally they submit questions. And this one's probably one of the most important that either of them has ever submitted. Tani said, I want the definitive JP Top 10 Fleetwood Mac songs on the Thursday show, please. All right, here we go. I'm not going to take an hour with this. The number one song is also the greatest song ever recorded, and that is Dreams. Not because it recently went viral on TikTok. I've been on the Dreams bandwagon for a long time. Number two, I've told Tani this. He's from the Silver Springs, Maryland area, or Silver Spring, Maryland area. Silver Springs is my number two song by Fleetwood Mac. You got to get the live version from 1997, from the dance when they did the reunion. It's the best version of this you'll ever find. It is readily available on YouTube, even though they shaved some of the live portion out. But Silver Springs, number two, got left off of the Rumors album for, I don't know, some random song like Oh Daddy, which I'm not a fan of. Uh, so Silver Springs, number two. Gypsy is number three. Little Lies, led by Christine McVeigh instead of Stevie Nicks. That is my number four song. Rhiannon, which is about a witch, a Welsh witch, is my number five song. Very pertinent since it's Halloween, although it doesn't have a Halloween feel to it. Number six song is The Chain. Number seven song is Well Off the Beaten Path. That's not the title. The song is Well Off the Beaten Path. It is a song called Family Man. It's got some Spanish classical guitar in it, and it's got it in a song that does not sound like Spanish classical guitar belongs in it, but yet it's in there. It's a, it's a concept song. It sounds way different. It's very, very unique. So Family Man, number seven. Gold Dust Woman, really good cocaine song. Had to get one in there. Although, you know, if you were, if you got a seven-year-old in the car, they're not going to be able to pick up on the fact that that's what it's about. And to be honest, unless you really, really listen to the lyrics hard, you won't know what it's about either. Go Your Own Way, hashtag Forrest Gump soundtrack, is number nine. Number 10 is Sarah. And just because I can, Tani, I'm going to number 11, Hold Me, another Christine McVeigh song. So those are my top 11 Fleetwood Mac songs because you can't just have a top 10. Now, I need every single one of you who bets on sports or has ever even thought about it to pay close, close attention to this question coming up because it is vital. And what I'm going to say afterwards is vital. We'll do it right after this. So TP gave a nice question, nice submission here. I hear you talk about betting a lot, but it's new to me. What advice would you give to a new better? All right, TP, my first advice is always don't, don't bet. However, it makes me hypocritical because I do, and I do talk about it on the show. But the reason why I say don't is because I can't really know you. And so if I can't know you, then I have to assume that you don't know what you're doing. I know that sounds callous. I know that sounds disrespectful. I just know how hard it is to profit long-term betting sports. The vast majority of you will not do it. You will not. We are able to. I've done it six years running now. We are above 60% against the spread currently on the games that we hand out in the Ramen Noodle Express. I say currently because I know 61% is an absurdly high number. And if you're able to hit it that over the course of a season... Please don't go around promising people you're about to duplicate that because that is 
next to impossible to do long-term. If anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. But I did jot down before I started recording just a few things. You're asking for betting advice and resources. and So here's a couple. First thing, understand the difference between the average better and the best pros on the planet. The average difference over the course of 100 games is probably four or five. They're going to win maybe four or five more games over the course of 100 games than the average better is. That's the difference. That's how thin the margin is. So when you got some folks at the water cooler on Monday talking about how they've been on this run, and then you got another guy who's going 500, that's, first off, that's purely anecdotal. It's purely variance. You got you to stretch things out to like a thousand game sample size before you've really calibrated anyone's skill to understand how good they actually are. You could go 10 and 0 over your next 10 games. I could go 0 and 10, and we haven't proven anything about how I am related to how you are. A blind monkey over here could go 7 and 3, and I could go 3 and 7 Saturday. What does that matter? Now, if the blind monkey goes 700 and 300 over the course of a thousand bets, I'm subscribing to the blind monkey and I'm never making my own picks again. Second thing is understand the concept of betting numbers and not teams. You don't bet Alabama. You don't bet Missouri. You have a set of numbers. It has got to be data driven. You remove your emotion. Don't even think in terms of the team logos. Don't even think in terms of how you feel about the team. It's numbers. It's all numbers. What price are you getting that team at? And then where, what value is there? You, if, you ever, if you ever think to yourself, man, I'm betting Ohio State next weekend no matter what, you, you're, you're dead. You're de- I don't even care if you win that. In fact, if you win with that methodology, you're only further crippling yourself because you are falsely convinced that you figured something out and that that strategy works. It doesn't work. It does not work long term. Thirdly, Divorce yourself from emotion or the concept of betting for fun. This doesn't sound cool, does it? Most people bet for fun. You can bet for fun, but like I said, most people do that. Most people lose money too. You got to divorce yourself of the emotion. In fact, a lot of the games I bet, I don't even watch. I don't want to be emotional. I don't want any. I want to be completely level-headed. I don't mind at all betting a game, and then just checking the ending. Now, because I also do this for a living, I do watch most of the games, but I can tell you right now, uh, like Bud Elliott and I were on a Mountain West game the other night, and I could tell he was watching that thing pretty closely. I bet that thing, and I was gone. I'll just check in at the end, because I know none of you are going to ask me a Mountain West question, and otherwise, if my only interest in that is monetary, I don't want to watch it. Fourthly, Bet in terms of units. Do not bet in terms of dollars. You can't be sitting there about to submit a bet saying, oh, what do I feel about this? Let's put $20 in. Next one, "Eh, let's do 30 on this one. You got to define your bet size. It's got to be units. Define your bankroll. You know, if it's $1,000 and then 1% of your bankroll is going to be one unit, then if you're going to bet two and a half units on a game, okay, well, there you go. That's a $25 bet. That's how you should operate. Unit size. Bankroll size, not just, oh, I feel like placing this much on this game. You got to be consistent. Think about how thin the margins are. You can't afford to just wing it. Know the line and then know how to shop lines and have multiple outs. Don't just be betting with one person. And if you got a local bookie who's charging you 120 juice, you're dead to begin with. Don't be doing that stuff. Don't bet parlays. Just stay away from them. Stop doing that. Do the math. 
If you figure the chances of hitting every game is a coin flip, just do the math. That means the chances of winning one game is, well, it's, it's 50%, right? And then the chances of hitting two of them, what is that? That's one in four, right? Chances of hitting three, one in eight. Chances of hitting four, one in 16. Is anyone out there offering 16 to one returns on parlays? No. It's 12 to one, 10 to one, depending on where you look. And it looks so great. I'm going to bet $10. I'm going to win 120. It is a losing proposition long-term. Mathematical certainty. It is a losing proposition. Don't bet parlays. I don't care how juicy they look. Vegas understands how juicy they look. One of the worst things that ever happened to me is the first day I ever bet as a teenager. I hit two four-team parlays in one afternoon. I had $400 in my pocket. I felt rich. I was the next Warren Buffett. I was never going to have to go to college because I had figured out how to make a living betting on sports. Right. Now, I was just a teenager. I had a reason to be that stupid. Don't be that way as an adult. Don't ever pay anyone for picks is my next piece of advice. If you're going to buy anything, buy information. I'm not affiliated with this website, but I tell you guys, I've told you like three or four times, the folks at College Football Unlimited, I've done some work with them in the past. They are a phenomenal resource. It is very, very low priced. I would, as I've said, charge more than they do for their service. But what they are doing is they are giving you a full data run and data analysis and data profile of every game for every week. What they do is they give you a projected margin. They also give you a cover probability based on the current line for every game. And the games that they rate above uh, anywhere from like 57 to like a 65% potential hit rate, I man, I'm telling you, those games, if you were to do nothing but blindly follow those games alone, you'd be doing pretty good for yourself. They are a really, really well-run organization. I know the guys who run it. They're very sharp. They work in the data field anyway. So, you know, they're sports fans. It just, it makes sense that they do what they do. It's not a big operation. You've probably not heard of that website, but I'm telling you, I would advise that over a lot of websites you probably have heard of. Uh, Collegefootballunlimited.com is the website, by the way. And lastly, please don't say lock. Just don't ever say the word lock. Just don't do it. All right, let's get, uh, let's get one or two more here. David said, the Bama game Saturday demonstrated that anytime your team takes the field, you risk losing a player, maybe even a key one like Jalen Waddle. Given that, do you think how many games a team has played this year will factor into the annual debate of best versus most deserving? If so, how do you lean? David, this is a good question because what he's saying is there could come a time this year where we have like an 11-0 and Alabama. Let's just say that's the case. Or let's say we have a 10-1 and Georgia, and we're trying to compare them to a 7-0 and Ohio State. Let's say Ohio State gets seven games in, and you're trying to decide who gets a playoff spot. You, on one hand, could look at Ohio State and say, I don't care how many games they've played. Eyeball test, they pass it with flying colors. But then you could come back on the other side and say, all right, but even if I were to have put them on the field with Purdue again and Indiana again and Michigan State again, yeah, they'd be favored a ton by those teams. But Alabama was favored by a ton against Tennessee, and they beat Tennessee by a lot. But what did they expose themselves to? They exposed themselves to the risk of injury because you can get hurt even against a subpar opponent. And so Alabama, or in this case, the team that played 10 or 11 games, they played four more games than you. They had four more opportunities to suffer injury that you didn't have. And David, it's a very good point. And to be honest with you, I don't know where I'm going to fall because I'm going to have to know which teams we're comparing. Well, I can't do it hypothetically. In other words, I have to know which teams we're comparing. 
All right, Thomas, uh, to wrap it up here, had some South Carolina stuff. And I'm just going to read them, and then I'm going to respond to all of them. How long do we need to be patient? What do other coaches think of Will Muschamp? Do we as fans have the right to be frustrated after watching him quit games mid-game? An example would be kicking a field goal at LSU down 21 with short yards to gain. Finally, how does South Carolina move forward as a program to reach some level of success? Well, number one, Thomas, you've been patient long enough, so I'd be frustrated if I were you. Number two, I think a lot of coaches within the industry think highly of Will Muschamp as a defensive mind. I think there's a mixed opinion of Will Muschamp maybe as a leader of a program. So that's two entirely different concepts. Number three, do you have the right to be frustrated? Yes, you absolutely do. I don't know if I don't know if I would refer to it as him quitting mid-game. I'm, I know what you're talking about. Uh, you and I probably have differing opinions on that. But yeah, I understand the frustration either way. And then how do you move forward as a program to reach some level of success? Well, you got to define what your standard there is. If you got a guy not meeting it, you got to decide whether you're going to make a move. And before you make a move, you got to have a pretty good idea that you can find someone to come in there and do a better job. One of the biggest shortfalls and pitfalls of this entire process is not enough folks understand you can't fire someone and then start your search. Now, people who conduct searches know this, but people who call for a coach to be fired, who are you replacing him with? Do you know that you could get him? And is he going to be definitively better than the guy you have? He better be because of how much it's going to cost to buy out the current staff and pay a new staff. So I don't know who that name is with Carolina. That's why I've been hesitant to talk about hot seat with Will Muschamp. I mean, I, I think you should be frustrated, but it's a big leap between being frustrated and, all right, let's make a move. But I got to make a move because now I got to go record some stuff with Wolf Fong, and I'm going to then put together Late Kick Live for tonight. And I hope you join us on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel and subscribe while you're there. And also, while you're here, give us a five-star review. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for always tuning in. We're doing good numbers, and I appreciate you guys supporting the show. I'm Josh Pate for Jordan, Tani, whoever is lucky enough to be able to edit this down for your enjoyment. Thank you to them, and thank you to you again so much for listening. I am Josh Pate. This has been the Late Kick Extra Podcast. Have a great day, and God bless.